Well, how's everyone doing this morning? Good? Good. It is great to see each and every one of you. We're so excited that you're here with us, and we're kicking off this brand new series called Christmas at the Movies. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at different Christmas movies, learning lessons from them, examining our life. And I don't know about you, but one of the Escamilla family traditions is some hot cocoa, some popcorn, Christmas cookies or Christmas treats, and huddling up on the couch together, watching a whole list of Christmas movies. So we have different ones that we watch every year. And so we want to bring some of that into um, our Sunday morning times together and just look at what it is that God wants to speak to us, what we can learn from these lessons. Because I know this, it doesn't matter if you lived 2,000 years ago in ancient Israel, doesn't matter if you live today in the state of Texas, or if you're a who from Whoville, all of our lives are pretty similar. We go through the same ups and downs, through the same difficult situations. And so we want to look at these different stories and allow God to speak to us and really examine how we're entering the Christmas season together. And so this first message, what we're going to focus in on is our heart and our attitude. Obviously, this was a problem with the Grinch. And so we're going to look at a little bit of his story this morning and our heart and our attitude. What is your heart and your attitude as you approach this Christmas season? Are you already dreading it because of the busyness? Is it a joyful time? Are you looking forward to it being around family and friends? Or is that a difficult thing um, for you being around other people like family members? Maybe there are maybe broken relationships there. And we want to look at what should our perspective be like? What should our heart be like as we approach the holiday season? You know, I've mentioned this before, but whenever I was in high school, I ran track and I ran cross country. And I was thinking about this idea of our heart and our passion um, as we approach the holiday season. I thought back to my first day in cross country practice. I loved running. I know you probably can't tell that now because I put on a little bit of extra weight. But when I was in high school, I loved running. Okay, growing up, I was like Forrest Gump. If I was going somewhere, I was running. And so at recess during elementary school, I'd always race people. I was always trying to race my older brother, Michael, um, trying to be faster than he was. And so I remember the very first day of cross-country practice. And it was like, I mean, it was like Christmas for me. I was pumped. I'd been waiting for this day. I hadn't really ran on a team before, but now I was going to get to officially race and um, do this. And so I was really excited. Our cross-country coach sent us out, and all of the other team was kind of standing around watching us, but all of the freshmen had to run a mile, and he was kind of evaluating how fast we were going to be. And so I remember taking off, and I mean, I just put my whole heart into it. I took off the starting line, and I got that first quarter mile, and I had left everyone else behind. And so I get to the halfway point, I turn around, I'm headed back. And by the time I got back, um, everyone else was just kind of getting to the turnaround point. Like I had really booked it up until that point. And one of the seniors on our team went to my brother, who was also on the cross country team. And he's like, man, your little brother's fast. And Michael's like, yeah, I know. He's always wanting to race me. And he said, but he can't always run that fast when he runs cross country. Like he's going to have to slow way down. And Michael's like, no, he'll probably run that fast. Everything that Aaron does, he does with everything inside of him. It's his passion. He's not running just by physical strength. He's running with his heart. And let me tell you, I was proud as a little brother when he said that about me. And I was so pumped. And I did every race that season. I immediately started with the varsity cross country team because I wasn't just running like off my physical strength. It was a heart thing. I was passionate about that. And I learned, you know, at that age that heart matters. 
You know, your heart and your attitude matter in everything that you do in life. It matters as we approach the Christmas season, as we approach this holiday season. Because over the next few weeks, this can either be a time full of wonder and fun, or it can be a time of frustration. And it's all going to matter what's your attitude and what's the heart that you bring to this. You know, you're going to face ups and downs, difficulties over the next few weeks, frustrating moments, but it matters what is your heart. These next few weeks can be full of brokenness and disappointment, or they can be full of blessing. It matters what's your attitude and what's your heart as we approach this holiday season. See, it's up to you and me. It can be a rest full time with peace and joy. It can be a restless time full of frustration and busyness. It all matters what is your heart. And as we look at this story today, the the story that we're using, the Grinch who sold Christmas, he had a heart issue. If you guys remember, I know I'm dating myself, but I grew up watching the cartoon one, okay? And so the Grinch who stole Christmas, and in one of the opening lines as you're first meeting the Grinch, you realize, and you guys may remember this image right here, that his heart was two sizes too small. That's how he lived his life. His heart wasn't in it. And so that's why he was frustrated. That's why he ended up trying to steal all of the decorations and he ended up trying to stop Christmas. He had a heart issue. So what is your heart like? And so I want to talk to you about that this morning, a heart two sizes too small. And the danger if we approach Christmas, if we approach this holiday season in our heart, in our attitude, isn't in the right place. And so if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to start in Matthew chapter 2, and this is the chapter we're going to be in, Matthew 2, chapter 2, verse 1. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's okay. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you, and you can turn to page 471 in that Bible. And I want to encourage everyone to take out God's Word, take out your smartphone if you need to, and Google Matthew chapter 2. You'll get right there, and follow along with us as we look at Scripture. And in case you've never read through the book of Matthew, um, let me give you a quick snapshot of what's going on here. This is one of Jesus' disciples that decided um, to put pen to paper and write about the life of Jesus. And if you've ever started off thinking, okay, I'm going to read about the life of Jesus, and Matthew's the first gospel, it's the first story we have in the Bible of the life of Jesus. If you've ever started there, it may have ended in frustration. Because chapter one, if you've ever looked at that, starts with so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. Okay, and I'll stop right there. And you probably just threw down the Bible and said, I don't know what's going on here. But Matthew does that for a reason, okay? He's not just giving us a genealogy for genealogy's sake. He's writing that the person he's getting ready to tell the story about is a king. And he has the lineage to prove it. And that he is the savior of the world and and God has his hand on the life of Jesus through all of history, through all of his ancestry, through all of this. And so he's introducing us into the story of how Jesus came into the world, that he is the savior. He is what the Jewish people knew as the Messiah, the savior of the world. And so this is where we pick up the story in Matthew chapter two. He starts to talk about the birth of Christ. And this is what it says, Matthew chapter two, verse one. It says, after Jesus was born in the city of Bethlehem in Judea, during that time, King, um, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. 
Now, when Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem was disturbed with him. And so we're introduced to a number of individuals in the very first part of the story of the birth of Christ, of Jesus being born. And that is this group of magi, okay? Probably not a term that you're familiar with or that you use that often other than the holiday season. But these were magicians. They were not magicians like pick a card, okay? Not those kind of magicians. But what it was is they, they had a gift, they had a skill set where they could see into the future, where they could study the stars and, and understand the times and the seasons that, that were happening and what was taking place. And so they were known as magicians of their time because they were individuals who studied the stars. And as they come, they, there's a number of things that we know um, about these group of magi or wise men, maybe you've heard them refer to that. And the first thing is there probably wasn't three. I don't mean to mess up your nativity set that you've already put up, okay? There probably wasn't just three magi because they had to travel in a large caravan. And so you wouldn't really just travel with three individuals. This took a lot of time. There was a lot of distance that they covered. And so um, it took a while to get there. So once again, in my household, I make Sarah set the wise men over on the other side of the room, okay? They're headed there. They're just not there yet, okay? So we know that about them. We know that they traveled a great distance, probably from modern day like Saudi Arabia or Yemen, or maybe even as far as the western border of China, which meant that this trip, everything that we're about to read, the audience would have understood, hey, this wasn't a quick overnight thing. It would have caught their attention. Wait, Magi coming from the East, that meant that there were months, if if not weeks of preparation. The financial burden that that would have taken, the time itself to travel that kind of distance. There is no car, there's no automobile, there's no plane. All of it was traveled on foot or by an animal that would take them in caravans across the desert, across all of that land to get to the place where they're at in Jerusalem. And yet, after all of that, I don't know if you've ever been in a vehicle with siblings or family members, and after an hour or two, you're frustrated, right? But what is the attitude of the wise men or the magi? It's one of worship. See, how they approach this Christmas season, how they approach this first Christmas, the story that we're being given is we immediately see this heart of worship. We've come all of this way. We've invested all of this financially for one reason and one reason only. We've come to worship the king. We've come here to worship Jesus, to honor him. We saw his star and now we've traveled all of this distance. Our heart is full of worship as we enter into this moment. And then we're introduced into the second character of this story, and that was a different king. It's King Herod. And when he hears about this, when he he sees these individuals that have traveled all of this distance, it's not worship, it's not joy, it's not peace in his heart. He is disturbed along with all of the city of Jerusalem. His attitude in his heart is worry. And my question for you, one of the first things that I want you to examine, look at your heart. Are you approaching this Christmas season with an attitude of worry or is it an attitude of worship? You approaching this Christmas season with an attitude of worry or with an attitude of worship? See, Herod lived his entire life worrying. He worried about everything. He worried that he was going to lose control of the kingdom. He worried that he was going to lose power. Was he going to keep Rome happy? Herod lived his entire life worrying about what was going on around him. He worried so much that someone else, that one of his children or someone would take away his throne. He did everything that he could to stop them. 
after traveling for a month or two um, overseas and in different, to a different nation, traveling and going to a different country, when he came back, he invited his sons to the palace. They thought, good, dad's been away. We're going to get to see them. But he was so panicked that while he was gone, maybe they had started a mutiny or an insurrection against them. He had them immediately executed so that they would not be able to do that. That's how much he worried. He worried that people wouldn't cry whenever he died because he wasn't that great of a king. And so he had one of the arenas in Jerusalem filled with the religious leaders, with rabbis, and he had them executed at the moment of his death so people would weep whenever he passed from this life into the next. This guy was consumed by worry. That's how he lived his life. And although I hope none of us in this room are worrying to that extreme or living out those kind of actions, we can enter this holiday season with that same kind of worry in our heart. What are others thinking about us? What is our time like? Where are we at in our lives? Whatever our lives amount, it's all of these things can consume us if we're not careful. And the focus of this season isn't upon Christ. It's not the gift of God's son. It's about ourselves. We become consumed and worry about ourselves. And the statistics support this. In what you would think automatically, what's one of the greatest times of the year? What's one of the most joyful times of the year? You would think Christmas, right? Just the holiday and the joy of the season. Yet, Statistics say that almost 75% of us will live the next three weeks totally stressed out. And we'll be panicked about finances. Did we just spend too much on Black Friday, you guys? That's what we'll be worried about. Like, did we just do that? We'll, we'll be stressed about all of the things that we have to go to, all of the interactions, people that we're going to be around. Over 50% of us will be panicked Okay, we will wake up at night wondering, did we get the right gift? That person that we love, did we buy them something that they like? Are they gonna enjoy the gift that we gave them or is it gonna end up in the Grinch's trash? Okay, that's what we worry about. We can live our lives like that, full of stress, full of anxiety. That's not how you're called to live, church. That's not what God meant whenever he sent his son that this would be a time of worry. And if we're not careful, our heart quickly becomes like Herod, we live in this state of stress and of frustration. And can I just give you a practical example that we see in the life of the Pharisees as we look at this? Are you living in worry or is your, yours a heart or an attitude of worship? Is I think the key is what we see in the wise men, what we see in the Magi. See, they had the same worries or they could have had the same worries that Herod did. They were leaders. They were individuals of influence. These were not just people kind of passing by that stopped in. No, these were people of position and power, and yet they realized they were not in control. They realized ultimately they were not the king. And so what was their heart? It was one of worship. And can I tell you, just like the wise men, if there are moments this holiday season that you feel frustration, you feel anxiety, you feel stressed out, one of the best responses you can have is worship, is reminding yourself you're not ultimately in control, that God is our provider. He's the one that takes care of us. God sees every single need that we have, and he looks after us. Jesus said that not even one sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't know about it. How much more will he look after us, his sons and his daughters? God knows your need. And you guys, what combats worry in our life? It's worship. 
It's that reminder, God, you are the savior of the world. God, you are the one that's in control. You are the king of kings and you are the Lord of lords, God. You're greater than any problem I face, God. And the worries that I have, God, as soon as I start to focus in on you, they seem small in comparison to your greatness. See, the wise men, they had it right, you guys. They had this attitude of worship of God. We're coming and we're submitting our lives to you, God. We're recognizing with our words that you are in control, God. We trust you with our lives. We trust you with everything that we have. And so we're not gonna live in worry. We're not gonna live stressed out, but we're gonna choose to worship you as the king. We're gonna choose to worship you as the savior of the world. See, what happens is if you and I, if we live in that state of worry too long, we develop this attitude we try to stop Christmas. And we can enter into this holiday season really trying to stop Christmas instead of what we see in the wise men where they were trying to just be a part of the start of Christmas. And look at your life. What does it look like? What's that example inside of you? Is the next few weeks, is it already so full of frustration and busyness that you're dreading it? You're thinking, I just want it to stop. I just want it to stop. I just want it to stop. I already know it's gonna be packed. Or is it one, no, I, I'm enjoying this. I'm looking forward to the next few weeks. See, that's the attitude that the wise men came in. Hopefully you're not going to the extent that the Grinch went to. I hope you're not breaking into someone's house, stealing their gifts. Please don't do that, okay? When we're talking about stopping Christmas, I hope that you're not going to the extent that Herod did because he was obsessed with this. And you continue to read this story, Matthew chapter two, verses 16 through 18. And you see the extent that he went to. He wanted to stop Christmas so bad he was willing to end the life of others. And so when he finds out that the, the magi, the wise men have gone and they worship Jesus and they've laid their gifts down and then they went home on a different route. He became so obsessed with trying to control this, trying to stop Christmas, trying to stop what God was sending into the world that he had every young boy two years old and younger, their life ended. That's how worried and that's how controlling this guy was. He wanted to stop this. Hope that you're not in that place. But you know what? If we're not careful, once again, our heart, our heart becomes full of dread. And this is not a joyful time of the year for us. This is not a joyous season for us if our attitude and if our heart is in the wrong place. And I think once again, we look at the wise men, we look at what they were in their perspective. And there's this beautiful picture that when we understand their story, that they were willing to travel all of this distance, all of this distance just to be present with Jesus, just to be near to him, just to be there as this whole thing gets started, as the story of Christ and as the story of God coming to this earth, as it gets started the wise men are willing to do whatever it takes just to be present, just to be near to him. And as I was thinking about your life and my life, we had that same opportunity. What's the heart that we're gonna approach this holiday season with? Can be full of frustration, can be full of moments of busyness and, and our times are so packed out, we're just going and going and it feels like we're being dragged along over the next few weeks or you and I, we can come with a different intentionality in our life. And you can choose just to be present like the wise men were. Present with your coworker that you hear them and they're stressed and they're frustrated and they're worried. And you choose to pause and to listen and to show care and concern and compassion for what they're going through. 
You choose to be present to that annoying uncle or aunt or cousin or sibling that frustrates you and does not know how to carry on a conversation without arguing. You choose to be present there in their life and to pause not to get worked up, but to show the love, the compassion, the kindness of Jesus. See, it's all about our heart and our attitude. You and I, we can live the next few weeks trying to stop this thing, living in frustration, or we can choose to say, hey, I want to be here. I wanna be intentional. I wanna be here as this thing starts off. There's a joy in my heart as I look at the next few weeks for all that is gonna take place. You and I, we get to make that decision. Can I leave you with one more thought about the attitude that we can approach this time of the year with? In Matthew chapter two, verse nine, we see this. Herod's frustrated when he heard the king, that the kings went on their way and he sent them on their way and they see the star and it rose again and went ahead of them over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, when they, saw the star they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house where Jesus was, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and they worshiped him. And they opened their treasures and their presents with gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream, warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. As I was reading through this story and reflecting on this, the last attitude that I started asking myself about that I want to ask you about is, hey, as you approach this holiday season, is it with the fear of losing something or is it understanding the joy of giving? This holiday season, are you so worried about finances and so stressed about those things? You're just trying to hold on to everything that you can. And that's how you're gonna live the next few weeks. Or like the wise men, do you come and you worship and there's this joy, overwhelming joy that they got to give gifts to this young baby, to the king of the world. It was a privilege for them. It wasn't a duty. It wasn't just a responsibility. It wasn't something religious that they did. No, there was this joy in their heart. We get to come and worship this baby. We get to come and worship him. See, there's a joy when we truly understand what it means to give. This isn't something we just struggle with as kids, um, as little kids wanting presents and those things. This is something we carry into adulthood if we're not careful. And we're giving, we're dropping change or dollars in the red bucket or we're giving to other people, but there's actually resentment in our heart. And that's not what we see in the first Christmas story. What does it say? Overwhelming joy as they entered into the house. Overwhelming joy as they laid their gifts down. And you guys, this wasn't kind of a Black Friday doorbuster gift that they were giving, okay? Was it something they picked up on sale at a department store because it was a little bit cheaper than other times of the year? This represented months, if not years of their wages, their annual salary. They're bringing before Jesus saying, hey, it's a joy to give this. They weren't trying to hold on to it. They realized, hey, this brings joy to my heart as I see and as I present this before God because God has given the gift of his son. This is the attitude they approach with. I can remember learning this as a young kid, as a young child, we were pastors in a town in Arkansas. And where we lived at, not too far from us, there was um, a children's home. It had kids who were orphans and kids who were in the foster care system, and that's where they permanently lived. And I remember one year, a few weeks before Christmas, my parents called us into the living room and they said, Aaron and Michael, we want to share something with you guys. 
We said, okay. They said, hey, this Christmas, you're not going to get as many presents. I did not like where this conversation was going, you guys. And I'm like, what? And they said, yeah, we, we had gone a couple of times and helped out at the children's home. And they said, we've decided this holiday season that we're going to go um, to the children's home and we're going to invite one of the children there into our house. And for two weeks around Christmas, we're going to be a family to them. We're going to love this child and, and we're going to invest in them. And so because of that, Christmas is going to look slightly different. Once again, did not like the picture of that. I was panicked as a little kid. What did that mean that I was going to get less gifts? And I remember driving there to that home and um, they already had arranged this. And so the young man got in our car and we drove home. And I spent the next two weeks around that Christmas season learning so much of what it meant to give and hearing the story of what this young man, he was, he was just a boy at that point, had been through, what he had gone through, the difficulties that he faced, and how much I had and how much he lived in lack. And can I tell you, probably more than any other time, present opening that year at the Escamilla house was totally different. As I saw this young boy open presents and tears coming down his face because he had never gotten gifts like that. I truly understood joy in that moment. And I wasn't disappointed like I thought I was going to be about what I had. I wasn't even really focused on the gifts that I got that year because I saw what it meant to give. That's what the wise men experienced. There was a joy in giving. There was a joy in the generosity. Why? It was the attitude of the heart. It was the way they had approached that moment in their life to say, this is not all about me. This whole story will just kind of be a side note in it. The real person is God. It's Jesus. It's what he has given. And we get to play a small part in that. And you know, for so many of us, if we're not careful, we will approach this holiday season with the wrong attitude. We can. We'll get busy. We'll get frustrated. All of these things. And we'll fall into these habits that we see in the life of the Grinch. Our heart won't be in the right place that we see in the life of Herod. If we're not careful, that's how we will approach this Christmas season. And I just want you to examine your life. Because as I look at these stories and I look at our life, I think so many times we do, we have the wrong attitude. It's not just about the Christmas season. It's not just about decorations or presents or any of those things. Maybe it's not even like Herod. It's not the wrong attitude towards the world around us or even towards God himself. For many of us, it's the wrong attitude and the wrong heart about the way we think God sees us, the way that we see ourselves. And that's what spills over into so many different areas of our life. See, it's your emotions and your perspectives and the way you view yourself and think about yourself that can cause the most trouble in our life. 